morning. I preach you in Jesus' name this morning. It truly is good to be gathered together. Appreciated the service so far. There was some verses that Richard read this morning. First Thessalonians that he was bouncing on the subject that I want to talk about. Anyone see that? Two things define you. Your patience when you have nothing and your attitude when you have everything. This morning I want to look at the virtue of patience. What comes to your mind when you think of patience? Do you like patience? Could you define patience if I asked you? Or if someone would ask you? Do you enjoy being patient? The opposite of patient is impatient. Children, I want to tell you a story. This is a story that happened to me. It's a lesson that I learned. I'm guessing I was probably about four or five years old. I was pretty young. And I was sitting at the kitchen table. It was the end of the day. My sister was sitting with me. And it was a custom in our house to have a snack before bedtime. And I don't remember what all was going on, but this snack was taking too long to get to me. And so I just all of a sudden popped in my head. I thought maybe I could speed things up. And I I pounded the table and said, I want it now. You know, I learned that night about being patient. I was promptly sent to bed with no snack. And I learned that very well. Thank you, Mom, for teaching me patience. What defines patience? The definition of patience, I got a couple. It's the ability to accept delay, suffering, or annoyance without complaining or becoming angry. Another one is the ability, the ability to, or willingness to suppress restlessness or annoyance when confronted with delay. It's quiet, steady, perseverance, even te- even tempered and diligent. Something else happened this week that got me spinning a little bit on this topic, and that is our microwave quit working. To those that don't have microwaves, my hat is off to you, because I've had a microwave for about as long as I can remember, and uh, it's, it's handy. It's handy to warm up your leftover foods that you have left over from the day before. And you get so accustomed to this quick heat that when it doesn't work, it's like, well, how am I going to heat up my leftovers? 
luckily my wife had that all figured out already. But we live in a society that is so fast-paced. It is now. I want it now. Give it to me now. And you don't have to look very far to see examples of that. We have stores that cater to that. They have the self-check line, which I am slowly getting used to. And they're already advanced past that. You can go online, you can put your order in, and they have this area that they have the carts sitting. You can come in, they got comfy couches that you can sit on and wait for your stuff to be getting picked off the shelf, and you take your stuff out. Or it can even be delivered to your front door. How much faster can it get? Does this mentality teach patience? Back in the old days, I'm told, that if you missed the stagecoach, you were content to wait two or three days for the next stagecoach. Nowadays, you go to the airport, you can find out pretty fast who the ones that are patient and who the ones that are impatient. Whether it's a flight cancellation or flight delay, it's... It can be a real scene. What about sitting at a red light? Did you know that in our country that it costs seven billion dollars? This isn't original with me. This is something somebody else that did some study on this. It costs seven billion dollars in vehicle damage and medical bills by running a red light. And I'm told that it only saves 50 seconds if you make it through that red light. Is it worth it? Another aspect of patience is we've been patiently waiting for spring. I think I can say it's here. Just a week ago we were sitting in a snowstorm. But there are things in nature that we can learn patience from. That can teach us so much. Take for instance the birds. You know, poor robins came back a little too early. But yet, the other day, it was warm and sunny, and they were sitting out there just singing away. I didn't hear any birds complaining. If you did, please talk to me. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles, and they shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. Does our fast-paced life do us a disfavor? I like to consider that it might. And that we, that we get the idea that we expect God to serve me fast. I get in a hurry. I hurry through my devotions. I cut my prayer short so that I can get on with my busy life. You know what I'm talking about? How do we wait patiently on the Lord? 
Turn to Psalms chapter 37. Verses 7 through 9. Rest in the Lord, and wait patiently for Him. Fret not thyself because of Him who prospereth in His way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. Cease from anger, and forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. Are we content to wait on the Lord? These verses here talk about seeing the wicked and how they prosper and how they flourish and how they maybe look like they have it better than we have it. But God says they will be cut off. Do we look for shortcuts to know God? We need to take effort. We need to make it a priority. We need to to take time to develop our relationship with God. Because if we don't take any effort, it's not going to happen. It probably won't. As I was thinking on patience, character came to my mind. And there's thinking of patience. I, I thought of numerous characters. And you can think of numerous characters. Then the Bible that portrayed patience or impatience. And we're going to look at a few. One came to my mind in the Bible. speaks of him in the new and the old. And that is Noah. Actually, I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm going to look at impatience first. The character that uh, exemplified impatience is Saul. Um, turn to First Samuel, chapter thirteen. I'm going to read verses one through fourteen. First Samuel thirteen. We all know this story. It's a very familiar story. Saul reigned one hundred. Start over. Saul reigned one year. And when he had reigned two years over Israel, Saul chose him three thousand men of Israel, whereof two thousand were with Saul in Mishmash and in the Mount Bethel, and a thousand were with Jonathan at Gibeah of Benjamin. And the rest of the people he set every man to his tent. And Jonathan smote the garrison of the Philistines that was in Gerba, and the Philistines heard of it. And Saul blew the trumpet throughout all the land, saying, Let the Hebrews hear. And all Israel heard, saying that Saul had smitten a garrison of the Philistines, and that Israel also was had an abomination with the Philistines. And the people were called together after Saul to Gilgal. And the Philistines gathered themselves together to fight with the Israel. 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen and people as of the sand, which is on the seashore in the multitude. And they came up and pitched in Mishmash 
eastward from Beth-even. When the men of Israel saw that they were in a strait, for the people were distressed, and the people did hide themselves in caves and in thickets and in rocks and high places and in pits. And some of the Hebrews were, went over Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilgad. As for Saul, he was yet in Gilgad, and all the people followed him trembling. And he tarried seven days according to the set time that Samuel had appointed. But Samuel came not till Gilgad, and the people were scattered from him. And Saul said, Bring hither a burnt offering to me, and peace offering. And he offered the burnt offering. And it came to pass that as soon as he had made an end of the offering, the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him, and he might salute him. And Samuel said, What hast thou done? And Saul said, Because I saw that the people were scattered from me, and that thou hast camest not within the days appointed, and that the Philistines gathered themselves together at Mishmash, therefore, said I, the Philistines will come down now upon me to Gilgal, and I have not made supplication unto the Lord. I forced myself, therefore, and offered a burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, Thou hast done foolishly. Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, with which he commanded thee. For now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever. But now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought him a man after his own heart, and the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people, because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded. Saul's impatience led him to make a terrible mistake. Verse 11. Saul had fear of men instead of God. What will people think if I don't take this matter in my hand? This circumstance, this situation is out of my control. If I don't get it taken care of, what will these people think? Sounds somewhat reasonable. But obviously it wasn't according to God's plan. The fear of man brings a snare. Proverbs 29.25 brings that out. The fear of man bringeth a snare, but whosoever putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. There in 1 Samuel verse 12, he served himself. Saul took it upon himself to be the, 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 the man of God himself. And in that haste, it was sin. Proverbs 19.2 Also, that the soul be without knowledge, it is not good. And that he that, and he that hasteth with his feet sinneth. And obviously, the result of that impatience, that haste that Saul had, verse 14, is the result. He lost the kingdom. And the kingdom was given to someone else that would lead the children of Israel. What tends to make me impatient? What tends to make you impatient? 
You know, sometimes you can think you have it all under control. And it's just the circumstances all just stack up. And it's like all it takes is one more, one more event. And it's just like you come unglued. Do individuals that drive under the speed limit make you impatient? Someone that is late for appointments, does that make you impatient? What about unpleasant character traits? What about people that are obnoxious, and slow, or immature? What about a joke that is taken the wrong way? Do these make you impatient? There's a story of a first grader. She had a class of 32 students. They were all in first grade. And it rained all day. So they were penned inside. They couldn't go outside to play. And the teacher was stuck in the room with 32 first graders all day. The last bell rang. Yay, it's time to go home. The teacher began putting boots on 32 first grade students. She came to the last little girl and she was getting excited because this was about the finish of her dirty task. She began putting the boots on this little girl and they were unusually tight. And she struggled and she strained, she pulled and she tugged and she grunted and she groaned and she finally got the boots on the feet of that little girl. Just as she was finished, the little girl said, you know what? These, are my, these aren't my boots. The teacher couldn't believe it. She struggled and she strained. She pulled and she tugged and she grunted and she groaned until glistening with sweat, she finally yanked those boots off of that little girl. And just at that moment, she finally got them off. The little girl looked up and said, they're my sisters. And she lets me wear them. Maybe some of you moms can understand that a little more, how frustrating it can be. But you know, those are the things that stretch patience, teach patience. Now I like to look at my character that I mentioned, one that was patient, and that was Noah. In Genesis chapter 6, God spoke to Noah to build an ark for the saving of his family. And we know that story very well. It's a story that we grew up with. And I'm sure it's a story that has been talked throughout all the generations of mankind. Did Noah ever get tired of waiting? Did he ever say, I've been waiting for years and I haven't seen any cloud? Did he ever say, All my neighbors think I'm crazy? But you know, it seems in that account, we don't have a lot of those details, but it seems that Noah never gotten patient. He believed in God's promises and that's what kept him moving forward. That's what kept him focused. That's what gave him his drive to, for the saving of his, of his household, 
There's a flood. A boat needed to be prepared. Hebrews 11, 7. By faith, Noah, being warned of God, of things not seen as yet, moved with fear and prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. So he obeyed God and he waited for 120 years. Noah realized that God's timing was perfect and God would keep his promise. Noah patiently waited for that coming of the flood, yet he didn't sit around doing nothing. He was staying focused and his focus was building the ark. And I'd like to make a parallel there. You know, we need to stay focused. We need to stay busy working in God's kingdom. We can get uh, sidetracked. We can get complacent. We can get distracted. And we can lose focus. But, you know, ultimately, God is going to come. And what better way for Him to come and find His children working in His kingdom? James chapter 1, verse 2. Through verse 8. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptation, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect, entirely wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind, and tossed. For let not the man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Here these verses are talking about being patient in tribulation, in trials, in challenges. Do we count it joyful when we have Difficulties when we have challenges, when we things don't go our way, do we do we consider that God has the plan? God has our lives at His interest, and it'll work out. A story of another incident that happened with learning patience, and this one's not real old. It was on a trip. We were on our way back from Arizona. And uh, we had sick children. And our goal was to beeline at home. And unfortunately, the driver also got weary and had to consider stopping. And uh, so we got a motel and we stopped. And... Uh, probably 
10, 11 o'clock, whatever it was. And 2 o'clock in the morning, I was getting a phone call from the front desk. And this call isn't a call that you normally receive, but the call was, I think someone is breaking into your vehicle. So instantly, being sick, you're no longer sick. And you get ready as fast as you can. You go out there and your mind is just turning and you're thinking, well, what am I going to do? What am I going to find? And you're a little, little leery because no officers are there yet. And I come out. Here's my vehicle. It's sitting right outside our motel window. The headlights are on. The windshield wipers are going. Doors are hanging open. And there's this smell of a real burned electrical smell. And I'm like, oh, man, what do you do? So... I took. I had a tool chest with me, so I took the, the cables off the battery so it'd kill everything. And then uh, they came back and told me later, well, maybe you shouldn't do anything, because whatever you do is going to disturb evidence of who's broken into your vehicle. So, long story short, we were stranded for two and a half days, almost three, until we were finally on the road moving home again. Talk about patience. Being stuck in a motel room with three kids and nothing but McDonald's or Arby's or whatever it was next door. Um, and the motel was very accommodating, but it seemed like there was a, this undercurrent of things happening there that just, I have a whole different perspective of New Mexico. But anyway, so that taught us a little bit of patience. We had to we had to learn to what are we gonna do? Out of that whole thing, the only thing that can give me comfort is that this guy that broke in, he could have taken a lot of stuff. I mean when we parked, we left everything in there almost. We took some valuables with us, but I left my laptop computer in there, my tools were in there, and this guy opened up the back, climbed up over through everything, and got up to the front. Well the only thing that gives me comfort in this whole thing is when he left, he grabbed my wife's purse, which was a leather purse, which probably looked to him like a good find. Well, unfortunately, in that purse was just a journal, some books that she'd got for Christmas, and a Bible. Can you imagine the find that he had when he opened that up? I'm hoping that it did, that there was a reason for that. And if I don't find out now on this side of eternity, I hope it's on the other side. But that was a little unpleasant to have to, to deal with that. When we go through difficulties, it helps strengthen our faith. And it helps develop perseverance. How much difficult can a person go through? I don't wish difficult on anybody. But you know, sometimes we have to go through that difficulty to strengthen our patience on waiting on God. James chapter 5, verse 7, through verse 9. Be patient, therefore, brethren, under the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, and hath long patience for it, until he receiveth the early and latter rain. Be ye also patient, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord 
draweth nigh. Grudge not one another, brethren, lest ye condemn. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. I like these verses. They pertain to my occupation. We patiently wait for a harvest. Did you ever consider what would it be like if we went right from planting to harvest? No waiting? Doesn't work. Doesn't work that way. We do a lot of preparation. We sow the seed, and then there's the usual work, normal work that takes to cultivate and nurture that plant till there's a harvest. And sometimes there can be a lot of work involved in that. I came across a study. This was by an agricultural school in Iowa. And this kind of put a different perspective on what I thought I did a lot of work. It is reported that the production of 100 bushels of corn from one acre of land requires 4 million pounds of water and 6,800 pounds of oxygen and 5,200 pounds of carbon and 160 pounds nitrogen, 125 pounds of potassium, 75 pounds of yellow sulfur, and there is tons of other elements that are too numerous to list that come into this equation. So, it is considered that man's percentage of contributing to a hundred bushels of grain off of one acre is five percent. So, is it true? Is it a matter of us waiting patiently for rain, sunshine, to produce a crop? How do we respond? Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. This I say, then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 14. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, and be patient toward all men. Are we patient? Are we patient with everyone? Are we patient toward all men? Colossians 3.12 Put on therefore the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, and longsuffering, Forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Long-suffering. The idea of patience. We need to put that on. It's not going to happen. Unless we make effort. 
at putting it on. Second Timothy chapter four verse two. Speaking to those that minister, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. We need to have patience in when we're instructing, when those that need instruction and don't get it, we need to have patience. And I couldn't help but think of Jesus and his example that he, with his disciples, as he was working with them, <coughs> multiple times the disciples didn't get it. And they would come back and they would ask a question. And Jesus would have to patiently instruct them, tell them a parable, some way that they could understand. And I don't know that they fully understand until later. Romans 8, 25. But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it? Do we produce the fruit of patience? There's a story that illustrates this, and I'm going to read it. And it doesn't necessarily uh, fit in our our uh, area. It's, it's written from uh, a city. Take a moment and think about your life. Think about your daily grind, your routine, the way you take the subway to work every morning. Think about the hundred of people you pass, brush shoulders with, even push past. Think about the way you interact with people. It's weird to think, but you interact with hundreds of people on a daily basis and don't even realize it. These interactions are small moments, tiny, seemingly insignificant seconds of your life. They have no weight to them, no purpose, no real meaning. Yet they have significant power. These small moments all add up to the big summer, the bigger sum of your life, creating opportunities and experiences that are missed or abused by the hurried and impatient. What if you took five minutes to slow down and appreciate the people and interactions around you? Took a moment to notice the sorrow on a woman's face or the pain in that man's eyes sitting next to you on the subway. What could your tiny interaction mean to them? We spend our lives waiting for the next big event to happen in our lives. The next destination, usually unaware of the moments being created around us. For one cab driver, his decision to take a moment to slow down changed everything for one woman. And this is a story of patience and brotherhood of mankind. It's a story of a small random act of kindness that took the power to affect people on a big scale. A New York City taxi driver wrote, I arrived at the address and honked the horn. After waiting a few minutes, I honked again. Since this was going to be my last ride of my shift, I thought about just driving away. But instead, I put the car in park and walked up to the door and knocked. Just a minute, answered a frail elderly voice. I could hear something being drugged across the floor. After a long pause, the door opened. A small woman in her 90s stood before me. She was wearing a printed dress and a pinned box hat with a veil pinned on it, like someone out of the 1940s. 
By her side was a small nylon suitcase. The apartment looked as if no one had lived in it for years. All furniture was covered with sheets. There was no clock on the wall, no knickknacks, no or utensils on the counter. In the corner was a cardboard box filled with photos and glassware. Would you carry my bag out to the cars, she said. I took the suitcase to the cab and then returned to assist the women. She took my arm and we walked slowly toward the curb. She kept thanking me for my kindness. It's nothing, I told her. It's just, I just trying to treat my passenger the way I would want my mother to be treated. Oh, you're such a good boy, she said. When we get to the cab, she gave him an address and then asked, Could you drive through downtown? It's not the shortest way, I answered quickly. Oh, I don't mind, she said. I'm in no hurry. I'm on my way to a hospice. I looked in the rearview mirror. Her eyes were glistening. I don't have any family left, she continued in a soft voice. The doctor says, I don't have very long. I quietly reached over and shut off the meter. What route would you like me to take, I asked. For the next two hours, we drove through the city. She showed me the buildings where she had once worked as an elevator operator. We drove through the neighborhood where she and her husband had lived when they were newly weds. She had me pull up in front of a furniture warehouse that had once been a ballroom where she had gone dancing as a girl. Sometimes she'd ask me to show slow in front of a part, particular building or corner and would sit staring in darkness saying nothing. As the hint, first hint of sun was creasing the horizon, she suddenly said, I'm tired. Let's go now. We drove in silence to the address she had given me. It was a low building like a small convalent skint home with a driveway that passed under a portico. Two orderlies came out of the, to the cab as soon as we pulled up. They were solicitous, solicitous, intent watching her every move. They must have been expecting her. I opened the truck and trunk and took the small suitcase to the door. The woman was already seated in a wheelchair. How much do I owe you, she asked, reaching into her purse. Nothing, I said. You have made a living, she answered. You have to make a living, she answered. There are other passengers, I responded. Almost without thinking, I bent and gave her a hug. She held me, held on to me tightly. You gave an old woman a little moment of joy, she said. Thank you. I squeezed her hand and then walked into the dim morning light. Behind me, a door shut. It was the sound of a closing life. I didn't pick up many passengers that day, that shift. I drove aimlessly lost in thought. For the rest of that day, I could hardly talk. What if that woman had gotten an angry driver, one who was impatient to end his shift? What if he had refused to take the run or had honked once and then driven away? On a quick review, I don't think that I have done anything more important in my life. We're conditioned to think that our lives revolve around great moments, but great moments often catch us unaware, beautifully wrapped in what others may consider a small one. How patient am I? How patient are you? Life is short. Let's make the best of it. With God's help, I'm convinced we can make a difference in people's lives. Most of all, we need to remember how patient God is with you and me. 
and that will change our appreciation for patience. In closing, I want to read Galatians chapter 6. Verses 1 through 10. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritually, restore such as one in spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone, and not in another. For every man shall bear his own burden. Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that it teacheth in all good things. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth in his flesh shall also reap, flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth in the spirit shall of the spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith.